Welcome back to episode 5 of Hero Recall, your Overwatch podcast. My name is Tom, and with me on the other side of the non-existent wall, because I guess you guys aren't scary enough to build walls uh, in Canada, is James T. Grotto Power. How is your morning going, sir? Well, it's afternoon now. It's afternoon. Yeah, I forget. I worked for five hours, and I came home. That's what happened. How was work? It was chill. It was chill. I put in my two weeks notice, so I'm sure I'm going to get a text soon being like, what the fuck? But anyway. <laughs> it's a glorious feeling, isn't it? Yes. What's that? Have you ever left the job before? No, that was literally my first job. Scary. Literally my first job and my second job. Like, between first job, working at a bakery and a grocery store, second job, working for the government of Canada. <laughs> Gotta start somewhere. Big uh, career progression, let's just say that much. I think my favorite time leaving a job, uh, before we jump into the Overwatch stuff, we're just going to chat for a bit. Uh, my favorite time leaving a job was I was at a really shit job. It was uh, like a DVD store, you know? And, oh, um, Blockbuster. No, not that store. The, that I, I know. I really but... liked that job. I did work for Blockbuster. No, it was a different oh. store. Uh, it was called something like Gray's. I can't even remember. It's that long ago. God, I'm old. So anyway, um, my boss was just like the worst human possible. She was such a nightmare. And I was like so furious about everything to do with the job. I decided like on the spot that I wanted to leave. So I I, um, I, just, I, I didn't like quit and walk out. I planned it. I was like, I'm going to leave tomorrow, but I want to do it in, in style. So what I did was I wrote a letter. <laughs> it was kind of like one of those letters that it's kind of like, you know, Fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, fuck you, fuck you, <laughs> like that type of thing. Wrote it all up. I put it under the kettle at, uh, at work, so I knew someone would find it, like, at lunchtime. And I just walked out the door. And as I was walking out, because it was, like, a CD-DVD place, they were playing some really loud music, and they were playing Beautiful Day by U2. So as I'm walking out, it's going, what a beautiful day. And I was like, I, was like I can't wait for someone to find that, uh, that letter. Um, they did. I did actually see my boss later, and she gave me some serious death stares, and I'm pretty sure she called me a cunt. But either way, um, this is the Overwatch podcast Hero Recall, and as such, we're going to be focusing on a hero today alongside all the overwatch news the overwatch league news and of course a bit of personal chat as well our hero focus this week do you want to tell them what it is or who it is um the one who won't get on the payload hanzo uh hanzo <laughs> is our hero choice uh, i would i think genji's more to blame for that but yes hanzo is it's the, the, meme. Uh, hero. the meme is hanzo the meme is hanzo um so if you if you're just joining us if it's your first time uh tuning into hero recall first of all thank you uh we really appreciate the growth we've had recently um but this does go out on uh youtube it does go out on audio platforms now we're even on apple podcasts google podcasts you name it we're on all of them spotify, spotify. you can listen to us on your playstation yeah it's good time time um so yeah um let's get going i guess so let's start with the overwatch news and the overwatch news is significant this week usually there's like a couple two two three things maybe um you know because they released a patch or something or, or an event so archives is kind of coming to an end um and how, how have we felt about archives in general at this point just kind of i'm kind of mad on it to be honest i've not really you know what i mean i'm just kind of like eh. <laughs> Well, we can certainly say that it was an event. 
It was an event. <laughs> That's pretty much what we can say about yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was skin. I just like. Matt, the exciting part of archives for me has been um, playing on PC for the first time and getting loot boxes. I got I got the Ash skin the other day on PC. Nice. I'm like I'm never gonna use this because I'm total trash right now. <laughs> but uh, well, maybe I'll use it. Maybe I'll be better now that my refresh rate is fixed. But <laughs> I got the Ash skin. At least one of us has that fixed. I'm still working on mine. I don't know what the hell's going on with it, but yeah. Uh, Ash skin is cool. I like the Ash skin for this event. I like the clutch bomb. That's a uh, that's a favorite of mine. Freaking designer dynamite. Right. Designer dynamite. Mood. I love it. All right. Um, so yeah. So one of the things about archives, which has sort of come out, uh, it came out a couple weeks into archives. Now it's been about a week or so since I saw it, but there was kind of a follow up um, to it where they they had this uh, over uh, the Overwatch like social media team, if you will, released this clip it, which was um, the interview of, uh, well, I say in the interrogation of Maximilian, um, where he's basically confessing a lot to like where certain people are and they're setting something up and then they make this thing like in three weeks time, they're going to be doing this meeting in this place. And it kind of seems like, and I don't know for sure, but it kind of seems like either we're getting a part two to archives or they're going to roll in an event into anniversary or maybe like a, a short movie or something i don't know what do you what did you make of that did you listen to it yes um so specifically since it's not really a spoiler i'm just going to say what it is basically um maximilian says okay so you want to meet doomfist right doomfist is going to be in singapore in three weeks time this kind of what everyone is thinking is setting up is setting up for how they capture Doomfist. Hmm. And maybe the whole incident, I don't know if it will be the same thing, but it was the people who fought Doomfist in the cutscene when Doomfist was being released. Genji, Tracer, Winston. Who's in the mission? Genji, Tracer, Winston, and Mercy. So we don't know where Mercy was during that. And in that cutscene, um, Doomfist kind of grabs <laughs> Tracer's Chrono Accelerator and destroys it. And then she starts fizzling out of existence. She didn't die from it. Winston somehow saved her, I guess. But uh, this is what people think is what's going to happen. <laughs> is yeah. that this is related to that somehow. I don't know if it will be a mission. I don't know if it will be a cutscene or like when they're shorts. I'm kind of thinking it will be a short at this point. At first, I was like, oh, yeah, they're going to make another mission. I don't think they're going to make another mission. I think they're going to make another movie of the type of, like, shooting star for D.Va or right. uh, Maze Eco Point. Um, I forget what it was called, but uh, the animated shorts, like, Alive and Recall and all those oh, ones. You. I don't know. See, like, I'm torn on it because I feel like a movie would be fine. I'd be fine with that. It's definitely not going to be a mission, I don't think, because my thought was that they were going to do it within the archives. Like, they were going to have, like, half of the archives event time be the part one of the mission, and then they were going to release a part two for the second part, mainly because people were complaining about the first part being so short and being kind of like um, a non-event, so to speak. So... You have, um, you know, the original uh, archives event from King's Row. You have the Retribution last year, which was wonderful. Um, but then there was a lot of complaints, obviously, about um, the sort of recycling of enemies and how short this particular one was. So my thought was that maybe they were going to like surprise us with the bamboozle and just kind of like throw out a part two where like everything just was crazy awesome. But I don't 
think that's what they're going to do just based upon the fact that 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 event is wrapping up it is going away um i think tuesday so um yeah i don't know i don't know what's going to happen with it i know something's going to happen with it i just don't know what uh so i guess we'll see um but yeah i thought that was interesting anyway i, I liked that they're doing that i just it remains to be seen what it actually is so mm. um Moving on, they did release uh, a really huge thing uh, recently for the PC players, which is now actually working its way slowly to console, which was Workshop. Um, so if you're unfamiliar with Workshop, which if you're watching, the, you know, listening to an Overwatch podcast, you probably should know it. Workshop is allowing players to basically design their own game modes within Overwatch, and they're making some crazy shit. Um, not only do you have, like, really far out there things like bastions that fire torbjorns homing torbjorns no less at people i've also seen pong i've seen i've seen uh snake i've seen all kinds of really weird uses of this there was torbjorn golf i saw the other day which was amazing i have seen yeah. i saw literally a mode where mccree when he does his wave which is like the point if he does that while looking at someone they die <laughs> this you, is the shit people are making did you see the hot potato mccree no. So, like, you shoot somebody, you'll punch them, and they start burning. And then you have to, like, shoot or punch someone else, and oh, then it passes incredible. the potato. Yeah, and you stop burning, that's and great. you can get health. It's really funny. But, yeah, I mean, people are really genuinely coming up with some awesome shit. And, like, half of me thinks, like, you know, this is a step forward. This is a definitely a dramatic step forward for the game, for longevity and things like that. Half of me thinks Jeff's just sick of people asking for shit, and is like, here, fucking make it yourself. <laughs> Here's all the stuff. Whatever you want. You could buff Mercy through the roof if you feel like it. You know, whatever you want to do. Um, but it's really cool. It's really cool. It's really uh, good to see how ingenious some of these people have been with putting this stuff together. Uh, I'm sure console players can't wait to get their hands on it, and um, I personally would like to at least experience it on console. I, I have the ptr i haven't played any of them yet i gotta be honest but i do just like that it exists i think it's a really neat uh, addition to the game so have you had a chance to actually play any yet um i'm actually here's full disclosure i'm not really interested in playing the workshop modes myself i'm excited for people who want to use it but it's just a distraction from me getting better at the regular game honestly so like sometime i'm sure like Sometimes I play with some certain friends, they just these special game modes, and they're just going to take those to the next level, because yeah. that was just them making them with the regular game. But it's uh, going to be fun. I, every once in a while, we'll probably play one of those, but I'm not really going to partake too much in it. I'm excited for people who are going to use this and make some cool stuff, and I'll probably watch some videos on it, like people making these crazy things. It's just something I'm not going to use that much. <laughs> I was thinking we might be able to put together a stream where we just find like the best of the workshop and play it and just kind of go through the game modes and see how they are. See, like that that I could go for. but Get um, behind that. All right. It wouldn't be a regular thing for me. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So um, moving on to more genuine kind of news surrounding Overwatch, big changes that came in during Season 16 of competitive play. Um, and this was a change that doesn't really affect the majority of the player base. It's only players that happen to be minus 4,000 SR, so most of us. Um, and the change was actually an interesting one. It came from the top, and starting with Season 16, they have now made it so that Grandmaster players are no longer able to stack past a duo. 
so you can only solo or duo queue in Grand Master. Um, I'll read the the actual like the post that was made by Scott Mercer, who's a developer for Overwatch, so you can see their reasoning behind it. But um, starting with season 16 of competitive play, Grand Master players will no longer be able to queue for competitive matches in a party size larger than two. In an effort to have higher quality and more fun matches for everyone, Overwatch actively tries to place parties of similar sizes together to create fair matches. For the vast majority of players, this feature of the match making system works reasonably well for our grandmaster players making fair matches is always more difficult simply because there are fewer players of their skill level to place together it's even harder if we allow grandmasters to queue with larger groups we believe this change will help create better quality matches for all grandmaster players um your thoughts on that um complete honestly i don't really care because it doesn't affect me that's my opinion i think you'll be good for the the grandmaster players like they'll find matches faster and they well it will suck because they won't be able to like stack but most of them don't stack anyway like you see the overwatch league players streaming they're usually playing just with themselves or just with one other person anyway so i don't think it really affects that much it's just them being like here we're gonna impose a limitation so that this can't happen (laughs) do you see it as a punishment potentially though for some players because like like, like, me personally, like, I pretty much only solo or duo queue anyway. It's either me and you, or me and Keegan, or I'm by myself. So, do you think that for Grandmaster... And I can't imagine there are that many Grandmaster, like, six friends that are all Grandmasters. I can't imagine that happens too often. But it does seem like it would be they're taking away some of your enjoyment of the game if you cannot play with all of your friends. Um, whereas for other people, yes, very much so. I'm sure they appreciate the fact that they're cutting down on those bigger stacks. We know how much harder games are when there's more players grouped together, even at lower ranks. So do you think it's like, like people have a right to be upset over any of that? Mm, I don't think so. Because, no. again, how many people are at Grandmaster level? Not that many. I don't know. I wish you're going to be waiting game, two hours. You're going to be waiting two hours for a freaking match. That's true. And then you're just six stacking. Like, all the people at that level, you're probably going to be able to work with them. They're yeah. probably going to be able to go to team chat and be able to work with them. So I really don't see that's what the problem, the problem is. problem like... in Grandmaster, I suppose, teamwork in general. I mean, that's how they got there. So, yeah. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> Good point. I just, I just, I think it's a non-issue. Alrighty. Um, One of the other and last um, bits of news from the actual game this week is that there was a earnings call um, that went through for Blizzard. And during the earnings call, they did sort of hint towards something maybe a bit bigger coming in the Overwatch universe. Um, So in the call, um, it says, over the rest of the year, we'll continue to add new heroes and new maps and new experiences to the game. And then he went on to say, last quarter, I talked about how, uh, how we have a very large ambition for the Overwatch universe and how it can develop over time. He then revealed that going forward, the team would be looking into the balance of working on the existing game as well as focusing on the other work that they have. Now, this is other work within the over Overwatch realm. So it's... um. So it's, it, it leads to questions, really, doesn't it? It's like, I understand that they definitely have some work to do in terms of, like, balancing things out. And, you know, they just added this workshop mode, which was a huge kind of change, or update, rather. Um, they have to do their traditional new maps, new players, all that kind of stuff. But they are hinting that there's something that they... It's almost like they're breaking some of the team off to work on something different. Do you think that it's more likely to be 
like a, a variation of the Overwatch game like we've been told about before, like some kind of like RTS strategy type version of it? Or do you think it's more likely to be like a, an animated TV show or a movie? Or what do you think that what do you think that's going to pan out to be? I'm almost thinking, like, I don't know if it'll be, like, a game or something. I'm kind of leaning towards they're going to be developing the story more some way. I don't know if that's going to be through, like, a movie, through a show, through a web series, through something. That's what I think it is. I think it's, like, them moving to develop the universe rather than the game. I think because, it's... honestly, there's a lot of characters that we have no lore. Zenyatta. Let's find out more about Zenyatta, guys. Yes, please. <laughs> Yes. Like, what the hell? But, uh, yeah, it's. I think they're going to be moving towards making, like, more animated shorts, more lore, more stuff that we can, we've been asking for. <laughs> it's amazing how far they floated along with minimal lore, if you think about it. I mean, the majority of stuff that we, the majority of stuff that we see is all, like, stuff they've already mentioned anyway. So, like, with this Doomfist in, Sing in Singapore business we talked about earlier, like, we knew that that fight happened. We knew what happened during that fight. Now they're going to, maybe they're going to expand on it a little bit more but it's like there's nothing new there potentially maybe we learn one or two tidbits but it's still kind of based on something we we have known from you it's know comics something and that stuff. we think we know we actually don't have confirmation on it to be to be it, it's probably what we think it is but we don't know that's true <laughs> that's i'm gonna say that much about that i'd be i'd be i'd be open to it though i mean the thing is like they definitely have left a lot to the imagination in terms of certain aspects of the law like we have like we know there is this huge conflict between the vishkar and like lucio's uh, rebel group and we know there's something going on in that part of the world and we have like the smallest nuggets of information about it but there's yet to be some kind of like a full-on thing about it uh, zenyatta is just dead in the water as far as lore is concerned there's nothing at all we just know that at some point lucio uh, not lucio uh, genji went to him and he made genji you feel better about things and that's about it really um that's all we got uh, it's so okay genji. genji you're you're ha you're part robot but you're part human too that's okay yeah that's pretty much that's pretty much what it. we know yeah so yeah there's a lot going on in there i mean there's it's such a vast universe when you think about all the different elements of it like you can go through the 29 roster character um list and go okay this person relates to this person because of this event and this person person relates to this person because of this event but we there's so much that we don't know about those events so i mean i know there's a lot of room there for like future archives events and things like that but i think some expansion on the lesser known stuff less less of the main overwatch hombres like less of the um you know gorilla and the tracer and the, and the reinhardt and stuff more on the like the the side characters that have seemingly no connection to anything when they first started in the game um i think i would like to see more of that so hopefully we get some more of that Alrighty. So, uh, moving on to the world of professional Overwatch, as in Overwatch League and Contenders, there is some news in that area, quite a lot, actually. Um, which seems to be the case, actually. I feel like, weirdly enough, there is more news surrounding the professional Overwatch play as an eSport than there is about the game itself on a very consistent basis, which, yeah, you know, is saying a lot. Um, so, All-Star lineup has been announced. Are you excited? You don't like All-Stars, do you? I, I don't really care about All-Stars. <laughs> I like, do. It's, it's a distraction. That's what it is to me. It's a distraction. It's fun for a lot of people, 
But ultimately, the game is meaningless. It's like, cool, these people are playing together on this team for one time. Does it yeah. actually mean anything as far as the title goes? Not really. It's, it's fan service, is what it is. It's people saying, I wonder what would happen if you put Carpe and Jonak on the same team. <laughs> That's what it is. It's people going, you know, let's... But they're let's... not fighting for a title, so it's not no, really the same thing. it's more so just they're to see... They're not going to treat it the same way. It's more so just to see, like, what, what would happen if we took the best players and we had them do crazy shit. Because the thing about All-Star games, and this is best, true of ev- well, best yeah. players that's play that's vote for Pine, who literally has not paid to play a map policy hey so i haven't got that far yet so but it's not so much like um it's not so much like they play uh to win they play to show off it's always been the way like if you've ever watched like a nba all-star game that is when you're going to see the craziest dunks and alley-oops and everything because they're like they're the most dynamic exciting players and they don't really give a shit about whether they win or lose they just want to look impressive while they do it so to some extent there is joy in that knowing that you might have some crazy pop-ups going on i can see you don't care so <laughs> crazy pop-ups going on with the all-star that's that's kind of the, the thought process behind it so anyway let's go through the roster whether you like it or not sir so the atlantic division where they got voted in. And remember, these are fan voted, so, you know, no one to blame but ourselves. Uh, we have Pine, who, as you pointed out, has not played pretty much the entire... Why, why? Okay, then. So if he hasn't played for the entire league, why did we vote for Pine? Because he has a big fan base. That's pretty much it. Big Daddy Pine. I, no, yeah. no, I'm not knocking Pine at all. I don't think he's a bad player. But I seriously think for next All-Stars, they have to limit to... You have to have played this many maps to be voted for. That's so. my opinion. That's not a bad suggestion. But Pine, uh, renowned for his Widow play, uh, when he used to just pop the fuck off for no reason, just taking off heads left, right, and center. And let's be honest, Widow play in Overwatch League is one of the most adored styles, right? I mean, DPS in general, but people love it when you pop off on Widow. The crowd goes wild, and it becomes just one of those kind of like special moments for everybody. Winnable. Winnable. So Pine is there, uh, Big Boss Pine, and then Carpe, also renowned for Widow play, amongst other heroes as well. Great McCree, a uh, great tracer. Uh, Jonek is going to be there as a support role, off-support role, and we all know what he's uh, capable of. Ark is there, from probably the only Washington Justice member that's ever going to see the light of day on an all-star team at this point in time. But yeah, Ark is there uh, as main support. You have Poco as the off-tank support. Deserved, I might point out. Poco has been stellar this season when the rest of Philly... And you can see we're... We're both wearing Philly shirts today. James is less or so a Philly fan now. He's more leaning Boston. But I'm wearing my own... Philly jersey. Yes, that's true. Honest. I am supporting myself. I have a boombox shirt on, but you can't see it because it's on the back. But um, but yeah. So uh, Poco, uh, well deserved place there, and your boy Fusion uh, Fusions is there uh, as the main tank. And I will say, of the Atlantic team, I voted for Carpe, Jonak, Poco, and Fusions. So I'm pretty happy that four of my picks ended up on the uh, the main squad there. Um, I think I I don't think I voted Neptuno. I can't remember who I voted for main healer and i definitely i think i i don't know what i did there i think i put shore four in there i don't know why anyway um so that's your atlantic division pretty scary uh and then you have pacific division which is significantly 
odder um but there's it's kind of funny uh how this all breaks down but there's three players from uh from chengdu in there and then a couple it's like basically just like chengdu mashed with dynasty plus a, a gushua for fun so um Jin Mu is there, Fletter is there, uh, Yveltel is there, uh, Ryuju Hong is there, Gushui is there, and the god uh, Ameng is there as well. And um, so that's going to be, at very least, an interesting mixture. So Gushui is a, is a boss mode uh, tank. Ameng is one of the most prolific hamster players. <laughs> in the world, which is probably, you'd love to see that on his gravestone. Prolific hamster player. Um, Ryu Jae-hong is just sterling uh, as a as a Zenyatta or anything, really. Um, Flatter, obviously, people have big fans of that. But Chengdu in general, Chengdu have continuously bucked the GOATS trend since day one. They're renowned for it. And they, their fans love them for it. And I think this this shows. You have three players from Chengdu showing up on the All-Star list. So what do you think of the Pacific Division picks? I think I think just Pacific Division is actually more exciting than Atlantic. Yeah? I, more exciting. I don't necessarily say better. I say more it's exciting. More, more it's fun, just because you think? Chengdu are fucking nuts. Yeah. And everyone loves it. And they have Guzhui. And Spark, another team that's kind of nuts, not quite as nuts as like Chengdu, but Gushui is crazy. He's great. And then you have Fleta and Uje Hong. That's a pretty cool team. I don't know who's going to win the first map. Because obviously, these are the guys that have to start. They can't sub anyone in or out. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> that's for sure. That's true. So, yeah, as far as winners, I'm not sure where I lean on this, to be honest. It's because I honestly think. Individual play-wise, Atlantic have the heads up. But I feel like the Pacific could work better as a team. Well, literally, three of them are on the same team, and then two mm. of them are also on the same team. Yeah, yeah. So they have, like, some of them will have synergy already. But you do have Carpe There's and Poco, Carpe and, Poco and then yeah, Jonah and Pine and Arguably, aren't the best at synergy right now. That's true. That is true. That's why they're losing. All right. Uh, so, <laughs> moving on from the All-Star game and into the return of most people's um, favorite event of professional Overwatch play outside of Overwatch League, which is, of course, the World Cup. Um, so the Overwatch World Cup will return in 2019, and it, it does look a little bit different. One of the bigger changes that they made was that they decided that no more will they allow anyone under 18 to join the competition which I think is a shit rule. I'm going to go ahead and throw that out there. Um, I mean, let's be honest. Most of the excitement surrounding Overwatch uh, World Cup was the fact that you could watch people younger than 18 pop off that you would never see an owl. That's where we first saw Flower. That's where we first saw all these kind of younger players that were really kind of given a chance to shine in a realm where people were watching, and that's how they were getting picked up for teams. Now that's taken away, which is somewhat disappointing. Would you agree? Yes, and although like, although I don't think he was less than eighteen at the time. Fusions, literally, like no one had heard of fusions before the World Cup. At least, no one I knew knew had heard of fusions before World Cup. I was watching their matches. I literally said during their match versus the U.S., some of these guys have just signed their Overwatch League contracts. What happened to fusions? He went from being an academy two-way to being the main tank, like literally within months. Because Gamsu all of a sudden left for Dragons. He just, like, 
showed up and he's been doing well. Oh yeah. I like Boston aren't like at the top of the standings or anything, but they've done some good stuff. <laughs> I mean, anyway. he's undoubtedly one of their standout players, but on top of that, alongside him on the UK team, you have Kib that ended up on charge. You have Cruz that ended up on eternal. You have a lot of players that found a home based off of their performances in the, in the world cup, which I think was, you know, said a lot. I mean, it was, it was happy days for me because, you know, I'm from England, so therefore the, it actually gets me a chance to support a UK team that is entirely comprised of UK players, which is all I've ever really wanted to do, but it's never been an option. So. And then um, going back to the age thing, because I know I deviated from a bit, but on the same token, you're preventing these rising stars from potentially paving not necessarily a quick path, maybe maybe a quick path actually to the league, like just shooting themselves into like noticeability yeah and you've taken that away now and i feel like world cup is like one of the perfect places to do it because world cup they don't have like the same advertisement going on it's just at blizzcon like they have this kind of atmosphere where i mean it makes sense for less than 18 players to be there yeah but they're taking that away now (laughs) and it's just yeah yeah it does make me sad um one of the other changes that they made as well this year is that they're not going to do the weird thing they did last time around where they played certain like group matches in certain areas of the world which was fun let's be honest it was fun watching them kick out some of the casters to the middle of south korea and be like get on with it but um this time around it is all going to be held in anaheim so the entire thing uh, it's going to be within one week of competitive celebration which will be broadcast live to all platforms so how it basically works for progression wise is you have all the teams that have um kind of access to the world cup and you have preliminaries uh, the top five ranked teams receive buys uh, and then open single elimination brackets after that. Once you get to the group stages, the top three teams per group advance. You have uh, A and B seed, and the seeds, how they're going to play each other, seed one versus two, four versus three, five versus one, and then open division two versus four and open three versus five. Then you narrow down to the playoffs, which is the kind of the, the exciting part. But um, the progression system looks pretty decent. Um, it is interesting they're doing all of it in Anaheim. I almost feel like that's a better thing a better idea than kind of the world traveling weird stuff that was kind of going on. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, are you excited for this year? Are you, or are you less excited because of the lack of young well, talent? I'm, I'm probably able to pay attention to it more because it's not going to be at some weird hour in the morning and it's not going to be so far apart from the rest of the matches. Because like the group stages, it seemed like there'd be a group stage in one place and like it would be at some weird hour. And then it'll be like a week or two and there's the next group stage. Like they had it so separate apart, but now you can just have this focus. Like this week is Overwatch World Cup week. I don't need to focus on anything else. And you can actually pay attention to it and keep up with it. up. be like, okay, what happened two weeks ago in group A, blah, blah, blah. I think it's compacted in one, one week. It might be a bit strain, stressful on the players, but it's a tournament. They've done tournaments before. <laughs> Great. So moving along from the World Cup, we have uh, this thing about Bud Light sponsoring the Dallas Arena. Uh, so this was a kind of an interesting, I don't want to call it a power move, but uh, an interesting move in general by the Overwatch League. Um, and I, I say this for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, their current kind of thing is Coca-Cola. So Bud Light, step up, step down, not sure, <laughs> but it's definitely a different realm of, um, you know, 
thirst quenching. But also, um, I believe that they have chastised uh, their own players who have streamed in the past for drinking alcohol in the stream. And then they partner with Bud Light to make the Dallas Arena. So thoughts on, on uh, is it a little hypocr hypocritical there? or I think it's a really... Okay, so there's two sides to this. One side of me is I don't really like the anybody, not just Overwatch, like really promoting alcohol so much. I think it's kind of weird. Like, oh, get drunk with your friends while you watch blah, blah, blah. Play worse. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just like, okay. Um, kind of like, it, it, not quite in the same realm as like tobacco sponsorship in sports, which a lot of a lot of things that's banned in now, like in Formula One, you don't see Ferrari being sponsored by Mal Marble. I can't even pronounce Marbler. it. Marlboro. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's it's, it's like too many stuff. It close sounds like together. a Final Fantasy. I know boss. how it's spelled. There's, no, there's actually a thing in Final Fantasy called a Marlboro, which is one letter away from Marlboro. But anyway, you don't see that in other sports for tobacco. There's still the alcohol sponsorships, though. Yeah. So, um, Arguably, like it's just weird considering a lot of, and a lot of the Overwatch fandom isn't really old enough to drink in the U.S. Yeah, I think it depends on where you're coming from as well, though, because there's a lot of folks that obviously are into Overwatch for different reasons, and we hope to bring them all to this podcast. But you yeah. have folks that are into it for the story, the lore, the cosplay, the characters. Like that's why they're into it. Those folks. I'm not saying they don't like drinking beer, but you know, they're that's not the forefront of their mind, I don't think, when it comes to their their fandom for Overwatch. But then the esports fans, they can act like traditional sports fans. They, you know, they do like that's, to get drunk that's and the other side of eat the coin. nachos and, you know. That's so. the other side of the coin for me is that this brings this kind of more in line with regular sports. Yeah. So I think there's two sides to this and also it's probably big money. Oh, yeah. So Oh yeah. There's two sides to this. It's kind of weird considering where it's coming from, but also it kind of normalizes it at the same time. Yeah. So I think if you start making these things more normal, you're gonna stop having those people be like, "Oh, why are you fucking watching esports when they're watching people play football? How is that any different? They're yeah. just not doing something physical. Like, My do you go out and play football? Like, at least I could go out and play Overwatch. That's true. Like, That's right true. after watching a match. Are you going to go out and play football right after watching a match? Probably not. Most of them aren't. Secretly, I just hope that the Bud Light sponsorship brings a team to St. Louis, which is where um, Anheuser-Busch uh, lives. So I'm hoping that maybe there'll be some kind of a partnership there. Um, by the way, a side note to this, I've seen people asking for teams in St. Louis in about five different, like, random posts that I've been looking at in discords and stuff. And I'm wondering, like, where are all these St. Louis fans coming from? We run this show from St. Louis, Canada as well. But, you know, St. Louis is where it's based. So come on in. Let's join the party. Let's make a team. I seriously <laughs> want them to have a team. And this is actually a name that Keegan came up with for a team. This is a side note. But he's like, yeah, they should have a the team be St. Louis Spirit. I think that would be so fucking good. Just because of the spirit of St. Louis. Yeah, it's um, not bad. But that would be such a fucking good team name. Yeah. Like, <laughs> 
I like Jesus that. Christ. It's rare I agree with Keegan on things, but that's a good name. I like that. I would I would be down for that. Keegan's stupid, but sometimes he says smart stuff. He's oh, not actually stupid. Thing is, though, I, t- <laughs> I told would, him the other day. It would clash with the Spitfire in a way, because if, if you were going to go the plane route with it, but you could shoot go shoot them the fuck down, bitch. <laughs> you could go the uh, the ghost right with it, like St. Louis Spirit, and have an actual ghost as the icon. That'd be kind of cool. Anyway, um, I did want to dwell on this for a minute. Not so much the Bud Light aspect of it. I just thought that was interesting. But what I did want to dwell on was the fact that we did just have the first homestand, which was in the Dallas um, Dallas Fuels Arena, and it was spectacular like it was really well done aside from the giant power surge that knocked out half of the city um at the beginning of it yeah except for sombra showing up um it was really well done like it was really really well put together they treated it and i think they had to do it so i'm glad they did but they treated it like the first of its kind they treated it like a triple a sporting event like the way they introduced, and in the first match uh, that the Fuel played, the way they introduced the Fuel was kind of hilarious. I don't know if you watched it, but what they did was they had like, rather than the usual Overwatch entrance where you have the whole team just kind of walks down, you know, in single file, slapping hands, they introduced each player separately, like the start of an NBA match. You know, so like, like grand finals last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they did that. And they were like, and when they were all on stage, there was pyrotechnics, there was all kinds of stuff going on. Even the subs, even the subs, like the whole team, not even just like the starting six. But then when Valiant came out, they didn't even come from the back. They snuck on from the stage and went directly to their monitors. <laughs> Did not stop. Do not pass go. Do not class $200. They were just right in their seats ready to rock and roll. But it, I thought that they, the whole event was so well done. The fans made the difference they made a difference in that because when you're watching it in los angeles and you know no knock on los angeles those fans do get rowdy as well there's just not enough of them to make the type of noise they were making in that arena to hear i don't know how many people were there but thousands upon thousands of people were there to hear those people going absolutely tits when note dropped like a big bomb on top of someone like it was incredible and it was one of the most exciting um live overwatch things that i've ever watched and i was kind of thinking is it going to be like that for every single team every single venue or is it just like just because it was the first one or just because it was the fuel and jane has that following or like what was it that made this one special do you think it's going to be like that for everyone I think it is because for the people who live in in LA, they're going to like all the matches and they're like screaming so loud for their team. Like you see, everyone's gonna like say like that one Houston fan, but Reba, Reba is always going crazy for Houston, and you always recognize her, and she'll go to like anything Houston. So there are fans like if they're in the area and they support their team, they'll go out. It's just that LA is LA territory, and also the Blizzard Arena is. It used to be like the set for one of those late night shows. It's not very big. It doesn't look very big. It's not a very big place. Mm. Um, so you can't fit that many fans in there. But when you get to these local areas, they're going to be able to fill 
like a good auditorium size, maybe not like huge stadium size uh, match every time, but they're going to be able to feel like an auditorium full of people, like yeah. a lecture theater size, big lecture theater, a really large lecture theater size. I mean, the the field game, <laughs> I can't remember what the final head count was, but they pretty much sold that sucker right. Like there was a it was lot like of seats taken in there. of a hockey stadium. Yeah, it was a, it was a big place. Um, and, you know, on top of that, it, it wasn't just necessarily um, – the typical like esport fan where people were showing up with their jerseys and stuff. There were cosplayers. There were lots of cool little things in there, just part of like the overall Overwatch universe. Um, all kind of joining together to just enjoy that special moment of getting this big game that got played outside of uh, of Anaheim. So it's exciting. It's really exciting. Um, did you watch much of it or? I actually didn't watch much of it at all. Oh, I actually shit. have not been watching that much of Overwatch League recently. I've been keeping up with the news of it. But uh, if I don't watch it live, I don't feel like watching it. I'm this weird person. But uh, I watch it I at do, work a lot. Like in I between actually will stuff, follow you know. the game as it's happening on social media, though. I so um, I was doing that for Boston yesterday. Or Friday. It was Friday. They play again today. But uh, I... I follow it on social media. I don't always watch because I'm usually playing Overwatch when it's happening. There's a new homestand coming up as well, and that's going to be in Atlanta this time around, which is one of the closer venues to me. I still don't think I'm going to be able to make the trip, though. But that's exciting. Um, so I guess we'll get to see, you know, whether the same thing happens uh, there. I mean, Atlanta fans are equally as nuts there's as Steel fans. There's a lot of Atlanta so fans. It'd be cool. Still, I, even after DeFran left, there's still a lot of Atlanta fans. I wonder if they can get DeFran to go to that event. It's just kind of like a... Uh, well, they probably will be. He's still strange. Fan thing, yeah. And of course, um, I do plan on making a spiritual migration to the Philly arena once that is finished as well. I'm very excited for that. But um, I definitely want to yeah. go to that arena, oh, even yeah. if I don't like the team as much anymore. I definitely want to go to that arena. It's I definitely want to go to Toronto. Cool I definitely want to go to Boston. Should I want to go to all the places. Let's make a America Canada tour. Um, well, I guess they're going to be all over that. Then we could go to Paris. We go to the Paris arena. That'd be fun. Alrighty, so that's expensive. <laughs> yeah, a little bit more pricey. Um, so, uh, is it Quatermain? How do you pronounce this dude's I name? I think it's Quatermain. Quatermain. It's like Quarter, except without the first R. Quatermain. Don't know how it's supposed to be pronounced. <laughs> anyway, uh, all teammates of some of the uh, London Spitfire will be joining them. Katamine or Quatamine or whoever the fuck you pronounce it will be joining the London Spitfire. He has been teammates with a lot of their, uh, you know, their current roster and also just generally all round known for being uh, a bit of a boss when it comes to. Um, to overwatch so that's some exciting news for spitfire fans and then uh sad news for boston fans or at least the academy boston fans uh io stucks will be leaving boston academy um they have not said kind of where he's going next my guess is coaching but um io stucks is uh is a solid guy he shows up on reddit a lot in the competitive forum um always has nice things to say always very helpful so um i do respect that gentleman quite a lot so i'll be sad to see him go but um that is um sort of something else that, that occurred there in the in the contenders uh, era um, and then lastly for our professional news this week uh, Atlanta speaking of Atlanta beat NYXL again twice now what in the, the same stage universe like so you have a team that's been struggling really badly since they lost to Fran they and... were the first team to lose to Valiant all season 
and then they just owned NYXL twice. The first time this people one was thought closer, it was a, actually, you know, it was it went to map five. Right. Still though, like that's just it's nuts. What? What is it? So let's let's recap. This stage, um, they lose to Valiant. They're the first team all season to lose to Valiant. Not knocking Valiant. Valiant's a great team, but they were the first. Just like Boston was the first to lose to Dragons. Everyone's forgotten about that by now. <laughs> because Dragons have won a few more. But um, it's still noteworthy. It's still noteworthy. Uh, then they win against NYXL. The next match, they lose to Charge. And then they win against NYXL again. <laughs> what do you think it is? They're about... three and seven. They're three and seven for this stage. I'm pretty sure. Let me just check that. They're three and seven for the stage. Two of their wins were against NYXL. So what's happening there? Let's <laughs> let's theorize for a minute before we move into the rest of the show. So NYXL, rigid team, right? They don't like to bend the rules too much. They tend to be very kind of, we're going to play this, and that's exactly what we're going to do for the rest of this game. They don't like to differ too much from what they have, and they play very defensively. They're the type of team that plays and waits for a mistake to happen. Then they pounce. But they don't. They don't they're not that aggressive. They're surprisingly not that aggressive. They're very sort of defensive. They just wait for someone to fuck up. And then do you think it's just Atlanta isn't giving them the satisfaction it, of fucking up? Or Once again, like I said last time, NYXL is good for what they plan for. You can't plan for rain. You can't. That's true. They're just nuts. They're crazy. <laughs> it's just like you can't play it for hunters. To I was going to say, have they ever played hunters? I'd love. I to don't see. know if they've. Played I would hunters. love to see NYXL versus hunters. But NYXL, their players are really solid, but they can They typically are only good for what they plan for. Right. Unlike Titans, who just are crazy no matter what. <laughs> That's true. No matter what the fucking. Uh, That's what separates. They're nuts. That yeah. separates titans from nyxl in my opinion i actually would put shock above nyxl right now yeah i agree i think i would agree too it's it's a very bizarre place to be um but it's it's interesting i can't say i dislike it i, I i'm not like the guy that I, I know there's a lot of people that hate on nyxl because they win all the time so it's like they love it when they lose i'm not that type of guy they, but I, I do feel like if you're not bending and and manipulating yourself to the to the, your your enemy, then you kind of deserve it. You know what I mean? It's like NYXL, literally just from Atlanta, they are placed one, two, three, four. They're fifth in the stage standings. They are below Gladiators. They are below London. They are below San Francisco Shock, who might actually get away with a perfect stage without losing a single map. Crush, really? Yes. Mm. They've crushed everyone. They've literally 4-0'd everybody this stage, and they might 4-0 today again. Uh, and then they're below Vancouver as well. Nice. So they're literally just from their two losses against Atlanta. And that's nuts. <laughs> it's you, absolutely nuts. Do you think they need to change something, or do you think they just need to I change something they to, when they play Atlanta? I think they need to become more flexible. As to, they need to stop sticking to this is our plan because as soon and we saw it last year during um, grand finals or not grand finals but the playoffs leading up to grand finals as soon I knew in that last map against Fusion when they switched to GOATS I knew we won the match like I knew because they're like this is not what they planned for it's it like was, they you don't can tell, have a plan you B can tell, you can tell when NYXR are thrown off their game because they don't know what to do 
as yeah. soon as they're thrown off their game, it's like they can't do anything anymore. Um, Solid point. The players are really good mechanically. They're really good at their planned strategies. They're not good at what they don't plan for. Good point. I think that's a coaching thing. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I think, uh, I mean, we've been talking about the Philly problem for a while now, but I mean, I mean, as Philly fans, I guess we do have to discuss it a little bit, but I think that our current situation is very similar in the fact that I don't necessarily think our coaches are bad, but what I do think is that they're having difficulty bringing together six highly skilled individual players as a team. They're, every single one of the Philly players is excellent, but they cannot work as a team right now. And that's a I coaching think they, issue. This is my personal hot take. I think most of the players hate each other right now. Think so? I don't think they're even friends, a lot of them. Like, there might be a couple little friendships here and there where people can tolerate each other. They're not, like, I don't think they're all happy with each other right now. Do you think it's because they have to, like, live in the house and work hard every day and then still come home I think home it's partially and... that. I think it's also partially, like, Carpe, supposedly, Carpe doesn't want to play with Fraggy, either because he doesn't like Fraggy or he just doesn't want to play with Sato. And that's... Like having a, someone like that on your team who's just kind of somewhat directing Toxic. the way things go, it's <laughs> yeah. that can't be good. Mm. And then when I've it's heard, your star player, what do you do? Uh, it's, a, it's a catch 22, you know? It's just honestly, well, look, I, at, look, at, look at what Dynasty did with yeah. Fissure. They've literally just forgotten Fissure existed and they've been doing so much better. I would not be mad. Fusion. I say, I say this with pain in my heart but i would not be mad if they kick carpe out because uh, everyone said we wouldn't be shit without carpe but if carpe is holding the team back from being their full potential i don't give a shit if he's the best widow in the world they need to get get rid of him and, and get someone else in i don't even have a problem with carpe like i think outside of the game he's fine i think just in the game he has this mentality that is difficult to work with i think he's another player like fisher who again fisher really good mechanically but every team he's been with so far have either benched him or just like he's been traded to someone else yeah just does not play well with others yeah, yeah. I gotcha. so i think that's the situation going on with fusion i think that um i don't think carpe is the only problem i think that sato a they're not supporting sato enough b sato is also a bit reckless there's like a few things there's a lot of things going on for wrong for fusion right yeah. now I agree. Well, as long as the boy Poco and Boombox hang around, I really don't care what else shuffles around them, to be honest with you. Those two, I think, are the backbone of the team. And I think, um, you know, EQO as well is a solid player in, in a lot of different roles. He's a star DPS in his own right. So I, I actually yeah. like EQO as well. Yeah. I think EQO is one of the good guys. Again, I don't have a problem with Carpe outside of the game. I think he, he seems pretty nice, actually, outside of the game. But <laughs> he seems to be a bit of a diva when it comes to actually playing. <laughs> More of a diva than poker. All right. So um, let's move on to personal focus for this week. So uh, that's your breakdown for the professional world of uh, Overwatch esports. And by the way, um, again, if you are tuning in for the first time or um, if you use for multiple times, um, let us know like which sort of side of the fence you lean on as far as your overwatch fandom are you more a fan of the game or are you more a fan of the professional version of the game um because i think there's definitely this weird division in the community at this point especially with how popular it's become i read something uh, the other day i think it was at a csgo uh, tournament that was being held next to an overwatch league game and the csgo people were saying like overwatch sucks or something like that because they could hear the bleed over from the overwatch arena because of how crazy it was in 
in that arena and it was ruining the CSGO <laughs> so I know that like pretty much every other subsect of esports hates Overwatch like League hated Overwatch because it stole a bunch of their players CSGO hates Overwatch like all those guys hate Overwatch so um, it's interesting to see it kind of creep up to be one of the top esports and um, and it's it's I think also surprising for a lot of the fans as well who like who like it because it's basically like a weird Disney superhero story, which is, you know, fine um, and enjoyable. And that's what makes it so fun. But anyway, um, personal focus, you wrote it this week. Um, yes, I did. I, I, I left you the reins for filling this in and you did well. So you have chosen as your personal focus, um, favorite game type, regular and or arcade, and least favorite game type, regular and or arcade. So since you wrote it, go first. Okay, so figure. <laughs> I can't English on you all of a sudden. Regular game modes. My favorite has to be control. Just because. And it's hard to pick between control and payload, except for Junkertown. Fuck that place. Um, <laughs> but control, I really like it because it both has it has both the attack and defense aspect, and it's really about. It's really showing. It really tests your ability to team fight and knowing when to push the enemy and when to kind of hold back it's this huge thing about balance it's all about balance that game mode and it's really brawly it's really kind of off the wall crazy at times and it makes it my favorite game type at one point it was actually my least favorite i actually put it below 2cp at one point <laughs> it's <laughs> a scary thing but then as soon as after i said that i started like looking at control, I'm like, how can I be better at control? Maybe you have to do that to CP as well. But uh, I started getting better at it. I started really enjoying it more and understanding the mechanics more. I think also Overwatch League kind of helped with that. What's your so I, uh, What's your favorite control map? Control map. Ooh. I think it's. Busan's pretty up there for me, but I think I'm still gonna have to go with Lijong Tower. I agree. That that was my favorite is Lijong. I think it's every time that comes up, I think everyone smiles a little bit. It's a fun, it's just a fun, a fun level. Um, with fun maps all around. So and it's yeah. one of those things where you can literally be holding the team at spawn one moment, and the next moment you're being held at spawn. Yeah, like it goes. It's such a turnaround. Yeah, absolutely. And then what about your uh, favorite arcade mode? Favorite arcade mode? I'm gonna say Petra Deathmatch. Oh, that's boring. I love, I love. Oh, I like Petra because it's literally the only place. And this isn't on PC. I haven't tried it on PC yet. But this is literally the only place where I feel like I can be good at Widow. I actually, for a while, I was getting like crazy headshots on Petra. I'm like, I look like a fucking pro right now. How do I, how is this not transferred to the actual game? And it's because it's a different <laughs> dynamic. But uh, I was doing some crazy shit on Petra Deathmatch. I really like Petra. It's just... I like Petra Deathmatch. That's what I'm going to say. Free-for-all. Right. Free-for-all Deathmatch. I should point out it's free-for-all. So I guess I'll do my favorites before we move over. So favorite game type. It's a toss-up. Um, I really like uh escort i do really like escort but i almost prefer hybrid because it makes it a little bit more interesting to me so with escort like let's say like one of the better known escort maps like gibraltar right or um rialto one of those types of guys 
you start on the payload and you have to start pushing it and it's entirely momentum based entirely momentum based so if you can win a, a pretty nice team fight at the beginning that's you know you're you're gonna have, be hard pressed to get stuck later on in, in that thing maybe usually towards third point uh the, the the defensive team has a better you know area to make a stand uh due to the surrounding map geometry but with hybrid for a start you feel like you earn it you know what i mean it, it kind of feels like that first try and take of the payload it feels so much like more satisfactory to get a payload from a control point rather than just having it outside your door for me. So like Eichenwald, um, like uh, Hannah, not Hannah Mora, um, gosh, Numbani, like the whole, the whole idea of like, here's the defensive hold. How do we break it? It's so much pressure to break that first point. Once you get on the payload, it's almost like it's kind of like that's your victory in itself, just getting to the fucking payload and getting it un unlocked. But then making it all the way to the end as well, like knowing that kind of the hard part is over, but you still have to like swerp it out. Um, I don't know. I like it a lot. I think I love payload maps in general because I just think that it, it takes people away from the Call of Duty of overwatch and it makes it like objective based like get your ass on this payload right now or you know at least a couple of you push ahead and there's so much strategy to a payload map but i think that there's even more strategy to a hybrid map because first you have to break the control point before you can then move on to the payload side of it so it's a nice mixture of kind of different styles which is what i like about those maps the most i think it's noteworthy to point out that while control might be my favorite map type King's Row is my favorite map in the game. One of the best. And what's yeah. that? A hybrid. It's a hybrid. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's it's nice. I don't know. There's something about it. There's like several levels of satisfaction. The first one of breaking to get the payload. The second one of pushing it to that second point, which is usually pretty fucking far away if it's Eichenwald or King's Row. And then that last, like, you know, dig your heels in, push to the end of the map. I think it's just a, it's always exciting on both sides. I even like defending on hybrid, um, which is, I never like defending, but on hybrid maps, I feel like that last stand, especially, it's so exhausting. But if you can pull it off, it's so worth it. So big fan of hybrid. Uh, as far as arcade, I'm just going to go ahead and say Mystery Heroes. Uh, it's always been one of my favorites. Uh, I don't give a shit about the compositions ending up entirely ridiculously against our favor. Um, I actually enjoy that. I like trying to work with what you have to overcome ridiculous odds. That's one of my favorite things about Mystery Heroes. So if the enemy team has three bastions and two Orisas and one mercy that just reses everything all the time forever then you know and you and you're stuck with i don't know a couple genjis and whatever else it's uh it's fun to be like okay so what's our prime directive here they have three bastions a bunch of shields do we bother with shield break or we try and get rid of one of the bastions like what's our focus i like the strategy of it it is like a game of chess in terms of like what is the most pertinent thing to take out right now like if we take out the mercy first then that means they're not going to be able to res this bastion so maybe let's focus her first because she's you know far more uh, easy to kill anyway so oh look we have a widow let's have widow try and flank the mercy take her out first and then get a genji behind a bastion and flick 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 and kill him and see what happens um so i'm a fan of mystery heroes and also for its learning purposes 
where if you are relatively new to the game or you just feel like trying out some other characters, Mystery Heroes has you covered as far as like forcing you to play people that you wouldn't normally play. I would never know how much I enjoyed playing Zarya unless I ended up having to play her in Mystery Heroes. Uh, same goes for Doomfist. I'm a terrible Doomfist, but when I'm forced to do him in Mystery Heroes, I have, a f I have fun. I try and do the Doomfist style of play and occasionally it works out and I feel awesome. So I'm a big fan of Mystery Heroes for that. So that's my favorite arcade mode. I know you hate it. Shut up. <laughs> Least favorite game type. Anything. Least favorite game type. Go. So regular one, I'd have to say 2CP. Just because, okay, at, where uh, I am... For those of you SR that don't know 2CP, that's Assault is the official name for it. Yeah. 2CP at my level of SR usually is you get steamrolled, and then you steamroll. And it's literally, like, there's no way for it. It's almost impossible for it to be just you defend it's just it, it's so hard to defend it or you either or you get defended like full held just at the first point it feels so one-sided a lot of the time or it's literally who can attack it better or who defends worse just that sounds stupid when i say it out loud but it's just so it feels unfair and it feels just broken and it's just so steamrolly. Okay. I, I One way agree. or the other, it's steamrolly. I'm going to jump in here because I would actually agree. That's my, my least favorite as well. I'm going to throw that out there and get that part over with. You know why, though? It's because people give up way too easy that too it's so too. frustrating like if you it's like people expect to full hold the first point and if they don't full hold the first point they give up on the second point which is the easier one to hold you almost have to come into it with the expectation that it's unlikely that we're gonna hold this first point we can hold it for as long as humanly possible but at some point they're gonna have six ultimates and we probably are gonna die that's okay because as long as we can run as much time down the clock as possible we will have a far superior position with the spawn advantage on the second point but there's so many players that get so hardcore tilted from the first point like they they feel like if they don't full hold it they've lost and that just leads to like terrible bm and and toxicity and that's my least favorite part about those maps in particular um, see i i'm not one of those people for sure i definitely like if i get if i nearly full hold i'm like already thinking okay we can we can hold them on the second point that's what i think yeah. if they we drove them down this much we can hold them on the second point and i've actually recently my two cp defenses have been getting better i've noticed just because i've changed my mindset but you can't control the rest of your team's mindset isn't that just the bane of overwatch and yes. then what's your least favorite arcade mode my least favorite arcade mode is Mystery Heroes. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and I'm saying this because it's really good. I will give it. It's really good if you're new to the game for figuring out, like, characters and stuff. But for some reason with my matchmaking, it just it doesn't matter. You can't, like, if the enemy team gets a good comp and your comp is bad, you're never going to break it. You're just going to get steamrolled. Like, because people are too mechanically good at my, where my matchmaking level at least on console and you just never are going to be able to break it and it just feels like i'm throwing my head i'm like bashing my head against a wall for what i'm gonna go ahead and say my least favorite arcade mode is capture the flag um i fucking hate capture the flag i've never enjoyed it i think i played it once and i just i don't get it i don't think it fits that much in a game like overwatch with like especially the way they like take away some abilities and stuff it's just weird i just don't 
you just have to figure out the caption of like metas. Yeah, but it's just I don't know. I don't enjoy it. Like I I don't enjoy defending. I don't enjoy attacking. The teamwork is basically non-existent. There's just a bunch of tracers and lucios everywhere. Okay. It's just so you weird. haven't played it correctly. Okay, I'm Probably gonna not. jump in here. Probably and... not. Because I played with people, and we actually figured out a strategy. We had this meta where it was like diva. You had to have a diva. You had to have a Symmetra, a Mercy, and a Lucio. And you could do this crazy shit. Like you could teleport in. The diva grabs the flag because the diva has more health. And you just put all your healing into the diva. I forget how it was, but it was really cool. And usually the enemy team had a Symmetra too. You just like build energy off their barrier, build energy off any barriers and just out Symmetra them. And it was such a good, it worked so well. <laughs> it was such a good strategy. And it was so fun when we got together and actually are trying to figure out, okay, so how do we break them? And uh, how do we stop them? Once they get our flag, we don't give up. We're like, we need to get the flag back. Let's go after them. And it was it was cool. It's just this dynamic. Like we have to go from figuring out how to break their defenses to figuring out how to get our flag back. I like it. You're a fan. Yes. Okay. I will say um, honorable mention, and the only reason I didn't choose this as my favorite arcade mode is because it's not there all year round. Is of course Lucio Ball. I actually forgot about Lucio Ball. King of arcade modes. It is that always would be my the best. favorite. Yeah, that's if hands it was down. a regular. If it was a one that showed up all the time, it would be my favorite. Yeah. Uh, competitive Lucio Bull is the shit, and it's the only thing I've ever been diamond in, so I'm pretty happy about that. I've been <laughs> fucking masters in Lucio Ball. Yeah. I'm not even joking. It's I'm great. like, why can't this be my real SR? <laughs> I fucking love that game. It's so fun. It's like Rocket League with Lucio, and it's the best. Alrighty, so let's move on to our hero uh, this week, our hero focus, if you will. And we are going to be focusing on a gentleman from the Shimada class. Plan, not the ninja rather the archer hanzo so um let's talk about hanzo a little bit so before i go into like backstory and all that kind of shit let's look at his kit so hanzo's kit has changed of course over the uh over the years and we'll, i'm sure we'll talk <laughs> about that scatter. a little later scatter. um <laughs> i love doing fucking hanzo voices i'm excited for the voice part um so they did add when they did the most recent change to hanzo they did give him a passive ability and that passive ability is um wall climb uh well actually no they gave him a jump but his passive ability sorry is wall climb which means that he does have somewhat of a verticality um he can get up to high places he can jump away from high places he can get up and fire an arrow and fuck off he's uh pretty handy as far as mobility is concerned more so than he used to be and that's his passive he can do seven well he point... always had wall climb yeah i know i was confusing it with the jump i'm sorry um 7.15 meters per second vertical uh movement speed and up to four meter vertical climb so not quite as prolific as his brother uh with the double jumping but still pretty handy um to get escapes and there's not that many higher walls than that anyway in overwatch um the other ability that they did add uh was the jump so that was the one I, I confused that with, uh, which is a, on a very small cooldown. It's about three seconds, is it? Something like that. It's not too bad. It's something very small. Yeah. It's very small. Um, but it's kind of a double jump situation where he jumps up and then he can dart in one direction, forward, backwards, left, right, wherever. It's kind of like blink, if you think about it. A little it. bit. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, smaller 
distance than Blink, perhaps, but definitely like good for dodging and, of course, for escaping from uh, your high up perches very quickly or just darting behind cover and things like that. Uh, really useful. Or getting your own corners. Like if you know someone's hiding behind a corner and you just kind of dart around, you can headshot them and they'll be like, what the fuck? Yeah, and uh, let's say, and he does fire logs with that sucker. The uh, the <laughs> the hitbox for Hanzo is insane. All right, so let's talk about his actual arrows in general. Of course, he does fire traditional arrows, um, which are his main um, and only really weapon, aside from a kick here and there or a punch or whatever he does for melee. Um, but the Stormbow is uh, the replacement for the Scatter Arrow, which we'll get into later. The Stormbow is an arcing projectile type, which means that you have to lead your shots, for those unfamiliar with the term projectile. The damage is 29.4 up to 125, depending on your charge. Uh, the spread angle is pinpoint. Uh, the movement speed is minus 30%. Projectile speed 26 milliseconds up to 100 milliseconds. Uh, rate of fire 0.7 seconds charging 0.4 to 0.6 shot recovery depending on charge infinite ammo uh, with his storm bow um, and the the uh, headshots of course are there as well so that's his his uh his main weapon the storm bow um do you feel like it's gotten better since the iteration since them adding Stormbow? I well, mean, storm, the, not Storm yeah. Arrow, just the bow in storm general. Arrow. Do you think it's got better in general? Yes. I th I feel like it has. The travel time was kind of stupid before. It just felt kind of useless. But now it's pretty good. It's like it's so fast it's almost hit scan, but I don't really have a problem with that. Yeah. You a lot of people seem to have a problem with it, but you can still, if you see him drawing his arrow back, you have enough time to figure out, oh, I should move. Fun so. um, side note as well um, with with the storm bow. Uh, the damage is inflicted depending on how far back the arrow was pulled. You can do flicks or you can hold it back all the way. But also, and I don't know how much truth there is in this. I I've been told it's true that when you have an arrow pulled back, you're actually uh, sort of covering a portion of Hanzo's face, which makes it harder to headshot him. Which I did not know um, for a while, but apparently that's a thing. So. Good to know. Um, so the storm arrows, let's go into those. Those are what I was originally intended. I'm all over the place today. I do apologize. So the storm bow fires the storm arrows. The storm arrows are what <laughs> replace scatter. And they are arcing projectiles, 70 per shot, pinpoint spread angle, 100 meters per second, one shot every 0.3 seconds. Uh, six of them are in your, uh, in your quiver. And uh, your duration is five seconds or until ammo is depleted, cooldown, 10 seconds, and yes, they can headshot. Um, storm Arrows, were they a good replacement for Scatter? Yes, I believe so, because A, you have to aim more. You don't just, like, aim straight at the ground at somebody's feet and it kills them. B, it's really good for shield break. True. It actually makes Hanzo, even though he's a sniper, you can kind of, you can actually get away with double sniper sometimes just because he can break shields with that Storm Arrow. And also, if people are just low and they're not behind a shield, you can just storm arrow into them, and you'll get a bunch of them low. Or you'll burn down a tank. Like, it gives him a bit more, like, before, it's just, like, free kill. 
now it's a bit more I can be useful with this damage more than the, just get a free um, kill. One of the more interesting times that I've seen him utilized, especially in league right now, is um, against bunker comps. So when you have the the you know the Batiste Bastion Arissa bunker comp, um, not only like you point out is the Storm Arrow particularly good for draining that shield down, and also Batiste's little uh, lamp, but also. Um, a lot of people are utilizing Hanzo because the dragons force people to move. And when everyone is bunkered in one place, they got to move real fast. Otherwise, they're going to get just wrecked by those dragons. So I do think that um, against uh, shield comps, he is particularly strong, more so anyway than like a Widowmaker or what have you, as far as the snipers go. So you're right. Uh, did you ask a question? No, I was just. Just commenting. Are you okay? Okay, you sorry. I was fixing my connections, kind of getting screwy here. Oh, it's okay. So. Looks good for me so far. Alrighty. The other ability um, that he has with his arrows to make him a little extra special is the Sonic Arrow. Um, so the Sonic Arrow, again, arcing projectile, uh, the damage, projectile speed, rate of fire, all the same as a regular bow. Uh, it does have an area effect of currently 9 meter radius and a cooldown of 6, sorry, 12 seconds, duration of 6 seconds. And it is basically... Um, uh, uh, sort of a device to show the enemy to you within a nine meter radius. Most prominently used in spawn doors everywhere. Um, you'll have a Hanzo that fires one at the spawn door, which gives your team instant information as to what is about to come out of that spawn door and that you're going to be fighting. Um, but the Sonic Arrow can be useful many other ways, including spotting a, a naughty Sombra trying to sneak up on you. But also uh, it does hang around, which is an interesting thing, um, which I learned um, from some better Hanzo players than I, uh, mostly from our guide that we put down, they said that if you put a Storm Arrow into the rough head area of a Reinhardt or a Mei that's cryoed, um, it it sort of maintains momentum. So like once the shield drops or the cryo ends, it still headshots them, which I thought was really weird. Um, so that's kind of an, you know, kind of uh, interesting side note is that it sticks to things and then it continues momentum, which is an interesting thought. Um, and then, uh, you know, Basically, it's kind of like a, a smaller version of Widow's Ultimate. So how do we feel about Sonic Arrow? Again, it gives you knowledge, and knowledge is power in this game. So, yeah. And also, it like it still does damage. It's still like a regular arrow from every, every other perspective. So it gives you intel, and you might pick someone's face right off their body. Yeah. So I enjoy it. I, like I use it. it more than I thought I would. Like It's not just like a... I don't just use it like at spawn and stuff and to look for sombras. Like I will fire it into a big group of enemies just so I can track their movements for a couple extra seconds, you know? Yes. And it's also good for setting up Dragon Strike. That's true. That's very true. Speaking like if of people which, are behind a wall. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh Hanzo's ultimate is Dragon Strike, which is a linear projectile. It's an arrow, uh, so that does 125 damage, even if shot with a storm arrow. Now the dragons follow the arrow. So essentially the arrow goes forward and it splits into two very large dragons that do 150 damage per second per dragon, up to 993.6 damage against a stationary target. Um, it has an infinite travel distance, as in it will come to your spawn door and through it. The area of effect is about 4 meter radius. Rate of fire, 1.5 seconds charging. Casting time, 1.4 seconds initial animation. 0.6 seconds for the arrow. And uh, the arrow itself can headshot somebody. The dragons obviously cannot. Uh, yeah, and that's his ultimate, which is two big-ass dragons that just kind of intertwine through the air towards you. Very pretty to look at. I've always enjoyed 
watching that ultimate. I think it's very well designed. Um, Hadenzo does passively generate 1% ult charge every 3 seconds. Um, it does not damage deployed objects like turrets. If shot directly and the target is still, the damage will last for 3.3 seconds. The hitbox is actually both dragons, meaning the ultimate deals less damage at the edges and combined at the center. Um, so there you go. And Diva can eat it, which is uh, worth yes. pointing out. Um, very, very well, hard to eat it, but form. very impressive when you do pull it. I've seen you eat many uh, an uh, arrow well, before. Well, it's, it's because you just have to watch, and this is, I guess, a tip for D.Va players against Hanzo, which is a weird side note. But if you see him just spin around, Matrix, yeah, just Matrix, or if you just hear Ryuga, just Matrix, like towards where you think it is, because you're pro you might actually get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so are we, I mean... I think storm arrows are interesting. It's not storm arrows. Sorry, the, the dragons are interesting because they're kind of twofold, right? So they have the the damage that they put out, which is, you know, good. But they're also really easy to dodge. Like you kind of have to be fucked in your positioning to die to a dragon. But at the same time, they also have a secondary sort of purpose, which is to divide a team. Um, so obviously, as is known um, in the land of Overwatch, the more players you have versus <laughs> the other team, the more likely you are to win a team fight. So if you can block off certain members of the team, healers, for example, using the dragons, then you are taking maybe a five on three as opposed to trying to take on the whole team. Um, and it's kind of utilized a lot more for that and also in conjunction with ultimates. So, for example... Good old grab drag is uh, one of the, the my favorite uh, combinations in the game. When uh, the whole team or the majority of the team is caught in a graviton surge, Hanzo fires an arrow into that sucker, and nobody is getting out of that fucker alive. They are all going down because they cannot escape. Um, same for Holt, actually. Orisa and Hanzo work really well together. If those dragons are going out and you throw out a Holt orb, you can pull them all into the center. Like it is, they're going to die before they can get back out again. So um, good in combination with abilities and ults. Also fairly good if the shatter is good. It can be good with our shatter. Good cleanup. Yeah, absolutely. Alrighty. So Hanzo, little on the light side as far as his actual kit, I suppose. If you think about it, I mean, he really just has like the arrow is just his normal fire. He does have the ability to pump out some arrows fast and he has the sonic arrow. Outside of that, that's it, really. I mean, there's, no, there's nothing else going on except for the ultimate. So, um, realistically, to play Hanzo well, you do need to have your mechanics somewhat down. Uh, I think it is a forgiving hitbox um, for Hanzo players. I feel like they're not just firing tiny little arrows. There's plenty of times that you'll see yourself die to a Hanzo, and the arrow is like over here somewhere. <laughs> it's just like you're like, really? Was that was that a shot though? Um, yeah, there's the. He's like he's firing little tree trunks at you. But um, yeah, I think that that is something to bear in mind if you do plan on picking up Hanzo and playing him. The mechanics are the best part of it. So lead your shots, aim for heads, um, utilize Storm Arrow for shield breakage, utilize Sonic Arrow for information, and utilize dragons however you see fit, I think. Are the, I would I would also argue that even though he is, his mechanics are key, but that's true for like any DPS, he's actually one of the easier DPS if you learn to use his abilities more like strategically. He's actually one of the good DPS for people who don't necessarily play DPS as much to pick up. Mm. And I find that just because I find his aiming, even though you have to connect, um, account for projectile speed, I find it's not all that difficult. 
I just it's kind like, of aim feels, around shoulder. It feels shoulder. natural. It feels natural to me. Yeah. That's my thing. I think it's easy to to grind too. Like it feels because you are because you're essentially taking a straight shot towards like sort of the shoulder area of someone if you're aiming for their their head compared to like a widow that has to do flick shots and things like that there's sort of less um less that you have to to master uh if you will uh there's no jumping up 50 feet in the air and trying to land a headshot with hanzo it's all kind of ground based and occasionally a jump here and there you know um but yeah, I think it's uh, he's an interesting character, and I think he's also definitely in a better place than um, he has been previously. He was kind of known as the throw pick for a really long time. If you remember um, back when you were in the spawn room watching people pick characters, there was a time when when someone picked Hanzo, you were like, "Oh, we're throwing, are we?" <laughs> but now, now it's lesser so. When I see a Hanzo, I'm now like, oh, cool, now it's Hanzo. when I see Genji. Yeah, now when I see Genji, I'm like, "Oh, we're throwing, are we?" Um, but yeah, it's uh, he's definitely more of a an honorable pick, shall we say? Which, I, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's when I started playing Hanzo. I like, just saw people like in slot Hanzo and be bad. I'm like, fuck it, I need to steal this character from these guys. <laughs> Alrighty, so let's learn a little bit about Hanzo. So mastering his skills as a bowman and an assassin, Hanzo Shimada strives to prove himself as a warrior without peer. He is likewise skilled with the sword, but has sworn off using such a weapon. He considers crossbows to be toys for children, and believes that compassion has no place in battle. He has demonstrated a cynical view of the nature of the world. The Shimada family was established centuries ago, a clan of assassins whose power grew over the years, enabling them to build a vast criminal empire out of Hanamura that profited from lucrative trade in arms and illegal substances. Ooh, he was a drug dealer. As the eldest son of Shoshiro Shimada, the family's head, Hanzo was bound by duty to succeed his father and rule the Shimada Empire. From a young age, he was trained for that responsibility, displaying a natural aptitude for leadership and possessing an innate understanding of strategy and tactics. He also excelled in more practical areas. He was a prodigy in martial arts, swords play, and bowmanship. Upon the death of his father, the clan elders instructed Hanzo to straighten out his wayward younger brother, Genji, so that he too might help rule the Shimada empire when his brother refused hanzo was forced to kill him unbeknownst to hanzo however genji narrowly survived the attempt with the help of overwatch this act broke hanzo's heart and drove him to reject his father's legacy ultimately leading him to abandon the clan and all that he had worked so hard to retain. Furthermore, he swore to never again wield a sword and would forevermore rely on his skills with the bow. Seeing his abandonment as betrayal, the clan declared Hanzo an enemy and assassins were sent time and again to kill him. That was ten years ago. Now Hanzo travels the world, perfecting his skills as a warrior, attempting to restore his honour and put the ghosts of his past to rest, honing his murderous skills all the while. At some point he visited Numbani, but did not find the city to his liking. So, um, yeah, that's the kind of the brief overview of Hanzo. So he was led to be basically like head of the Yakuza, if you will, in in, um, in Overwatch world, and uh, ended up having to kill his little brother, uh, or at least he thought kill his little brother, with a sword. Uh, and then because of such an incident, uh, he do, does believe his brother to be dead, except for the dragon's short, where he learns his brother is not dead. Uh, but there he swore off swords altogether, and that's why he can only use his bow. Do you think it would be cool if he could use a sword as like a, a secondary melee, or do you think that they should keep that in the realm of Genji? Just keep it in the realm of Genji. Because I think it's a cool dynamic that he literally will not use the sword because he has this like thing where it's like, I 
thought I killed my brother of a sword. Yeah. <laughs> that's not, that's, it's like kind of this dark side. Like, that's the dark side. I did not want to mess with the dark side. One of the more interesting facts that we have uh, mentioned on the podcast previously is that, in fact, Hanzo and Genji did used to be one person. Uh, there is artwork out there. I'll see if I can flash it on the screen that shows what appears to be sort of, it's like Genji with Hanzo's hair with a bow that has like green string and everything, much like Genji, Genji's armor um, and the sword as well, which frankly may have been overkill <laughs> for considering how good players can be with both of those characters individually. Uh, having a Genji Hanzo or a Genjo or a Hanji uh, would have been Hanji. Hanji, yeah. So uh, Genji and Hanzo were originally envisioned as a single cyborg ninja hero named Hanzo, who wielded both a bow and a sword, used parkour, and had assassinate uh, an assassinate ability. Using artwork for the assassin class from the cancelled Project Titan, they were split into two distinct heroes early in development. During development, Hanzo was known as Bow Ninja and Genji as Sword Ninja. Both Hanzo and Genji's kits drew heavily from an early version of Sombra that predated both heroes, which resulted in the Sombra concept being temporarily shelved. His kit may have also taken inspiration from that of Huntress, a character created for the original Prometheus pitch. Hanzo's old scatter arrow is one of the few abilities that have been removed and replaced in the game. So a little bit of early development on Hanzo there. Um, interesting that they took it from Sombra. Do you think it's just the yeah. cyber part of it, pretty much? Can you repeat that? The connection kind of went weird. Yeah, sure. Uh, so both Hanzo and Genji's kits drew heavily from an early version of Sombra that predated both heroes, which resulted in the Sombra concept being temporarily shelved. They don't really say, like, why, but my thought is Cyber Ninja. Maybe there was some hacking or something like that along those lines. Possibly. It could just be the stealth thing as well. They might have had some yeah. stealth things going on where they could, like, I could see they had a ninja. They probably had like something where he smoke bombs and then just like disappears. Cool. But that was probably something. No, also, I do that. side note about Hanzo and Genji is I have some really cool traditional Japanese style artwork of Hanzo and Genji from the Yukio Pop people mm -hmm. on good. my wall right behind the computer <laughs> if you send me a photo i'll put it in the in the podcast yeah i'll definitely mm. send a photo but right. just please nobody freak out i know that the frames are slightly not aligned with each other it bothers me too <laughs> ocd over here Alrighty, let's go over some trivia for hanzo so hanzo's name could be a reference to the famous samurai and japanese historical icon hattori hanzo uh, master of Swordsmanship. Uh, equipping either his Lone Wolf or Okami skins will change his Dragon Strike's appearance to wolves and will change his voice lines to reference wolves instead of dragons. Despite popular belief, Hanzo's Dragon Strike is not magic. <laughs> this is weird. Uh, Hanzo's archery theme may have been inspired by Kyoto, a Japanese martial art of archery. The design on Hanzo's pants and scarf is a Japanese pattern called uh, Seigeiha, which means blue sea and waves. Uh, Hanzo has delicate ankles, leading him to wearing greaves. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, have you seen his fucking ankles? They're like that big. <laughs> his delicate ankles. They're uh, so tiny, though. Like, it literally looks like if he wasn't wearing those things, it literally looks like he could just go over and, like, like Snap touch it. your ankle with your toe and he would just be like oh i am wounded <laughs> hanzo get down from that wall you know your ankles can't handle it uh, the hanzo national church was founded in brazil by mateus mognon and was done to demonstrate the ease of founding a religion in the country 
Interesting. There's apparently a Hanzo religion in Brazil. Uh, both Genji and Hanzo are playable heroes in Heroes of the Storm, another Blizzard uh, property. A Genji versus Hanzo Neo Droid diorama is on sale, as well as a Lego um, set, by the way. And a Demon Hanzo cute but deadly figure is also on sale. So there you go. You, okay, can I just correct you? You keep calling it Neo Droid. It's Nendoroid. Nendoroid. You're right. I Neo Droid just sounds better in my head, and sometimes it's my wrong, my head Tom. overrides wrong. my eyes. We have to be. We have to get things right here. Nen We're a podcast. Nendoroid. I have fucked up almost the entirety of this hero segment by just not paying attention to what I'm reading. So I do apologize to Hanzo mains everywhere, um, but you know I'm sure you've had enough shit uh, outside of me. If you had to guess his age, how old would you say Hanzo is? Mm, 27 38 what the fuck yeah these people in overwatch don't age it's illegal i Dad banned this game <laughs> daddy hanzo that's when he's got a couple gray streaks in the hair yeah jesus right. christ i thought that was just him being like an edgy japanese guy nope he's uh he's an old man he's an old ass man he's getting to daddy age 40 he's almost halfway through his lifespan uh all righty so let's do uh, one of my favorite parts of the podcast, which is favorite voice lines uh, for the characters. And they have to be done, as you know, uh, in the voice of the character. So uh, what have you got for me as far as favorite voice lines for Hanzo? I'm going to do a combo voice line, and that is, my fate is written in socket. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I've heard you do that in game a lot. It's a good one. I liked it. Uh, any others? Let me think about it. It's been a while since I played him a lot. He's got some good ones. Oh, I choose you, Spirit Dragon. Good Obviously, one. a Pokemon reference. Okay. I got a couple lined up here, which I think are fun. Um,. Let's go. I do like Sake. I love the fact that he just yells it for no fucking reason. Sake! Sake! I always thought he said again uh, for a long time. I thought he was <laughs> we saying. go again. He does say again when he respawns sometimes, but I had confused the two in my head, and I thought he was just going, again! <laughs> Sake. I don't know why. Um, right, sorry, I'm trying to find... I know I have some like particular favorites here, but I'm trying to find them. Here we go. What are they? What am I looking at here? Okay. Um... When he, you know how characters, when they kill someone, they sometimes say something cocky. This is my favorite from Hanzo when he goes, hardly a challenge. Just, <laughs> it's just like real, real sassy with it. Uh, and also when he particularly kills Genji and he goes, you were never my equal. <laughs> just, or, uh, or just as when we were boys. Yes. Yeah. Just as when we were boys. That's One of my favorites from him, and it's so scary when he says it, is so much death. <laughs> it's so terrifying. He just like sounds like a psychopathic serial killer when he says it. Uh, there's also the step into the dojo. Which is a good one. I like that one. Good one. Uh, and then let's do one of my... And this is... a. I like this. It doesn't really have. It's a it's a winter wonderland um, thing actually, but it's a a gift for you. <laughs> it's, it's just so like random, uh, but I like that one a lot as well. So yeah, so Hanzo does have very. He's a man of um, 
of simple words. Um, and there's two that we have to discuss because they're missing uh, now. Of course, the infamous scatter, but also simple geometry. Which is like the most bullshit thing to say after flinging a hundred arrows in a small room like you fucking knew what the geometry was of that room. It's like like hundred arrows, you kill something. Oh yes. Simple geometry. That was before people started just shooting at people's feet as if it was a shotgun. Right. Like people would actually like say, Oh, someone just hid in that room. I'm just gonna like hit this wall, it's gonna go up, up and like go around and hit them. So people actually used to use it strategically, it's just that it got abused. True, true. Alrighty, so moving on from uh, voice lines, let's go to favorite skins. Uh, I know that you like to do the team skins uh, first, so what's your favorite I team actually, skin on Hanzo? I, well, team skins... <laughs> I really like Fusion, actually, <laughs> on him. Uh, Toronto Defiant and Boston Uprising, those, those are just always going to come up for me. Pretty much. I just like those ones. But non-league skins, um, I really like. And these are ones that are complete opposite as far as the uh, class of dress he's wearing. Casual and Scion. Casual is my favorite skin of all of them. I just love that kind of street look. He, he kind of looks, he looks like sort of like he has money, but he's wearing this really casual clothing because there's like all that gold dragon stuff on his jacket. The, but he looks like casual, <laughs> but also rich at the same time. The and casual then the one makes, me, makes him look like he just tagged a wall somewhere to me. It's like he was just up on a wall, he tagged his name. I like that. It literally, looks like, it literally looks like, I have no idea why I like this aesthetic. It looks like he just tagged a wall and he's going to, about to go smoke some weed. Right? Like, <laughs> It's <laughs> honestly, it just looks so cool. It's just this this Japanese street cool look yeah. that I really dig. I just love that skin. Yeah, Japanese street wear is something else. Sion, or Skion, however you pronounce it. Uh, big Sion. fan of that too. Sion, thank you. Uh, business Hanzo, as I like to call him. Uh, is Or most people, when they release that skin, are like, oh, Daddy Hanzo. Uh, but he's, uh, I like that one a lot. Daddy everything, all day. Overwatch um, community, you suck. You do suck. Uh, but yeah, that one's, I do agree. That's that's a really nice one as well. That's actually the one I wear most of the time for him when I'm not doing League skins. I do like the Akami, um, has to be said. I uh -huh. like any skin that changes outside elements. So like McCree's lifeguard skin, that kind of stuff. Like anything that makes them say something else or do something else. I like that. That's a nice, that's like something you want with a skin is additional changes on top of it. And that's one of the only skins that does that. I will note for Hanzo, there's pretty much none of his skins that I dislike. And that's mm. rare. I pretty much like all of his skins. I'm not such a fan of the young Hanzo look. I don't know if that's just a personal thing, but I just doesn't look I don't like that. I, so I don't much. like his hair on that one, but other than mm. that, I think it's cool. Uh and then there's the kabuki. It's pretty good. Uh everyone loves that. That one of I also enjoy. Yeah. So some good skins he's got. Yeah. I actually think Hanzo's Boston Uprising skin looks pretty good too, I gotta say. Um he also looks pretty good in Houston Outlaws. Because it kind of looks like every Houston Outlaws skin kind of looks like the um oh gosh, what's the the one that everyone chooses for Genji and Orisa that's like black and green? I forget the name of it. Well, there's carbon fiber carbon for fiber. um yeah. Orisa. The black and green one. Kenji has one that's almost identical. I forget what it is, but... Um, I don't think he does, actually. Tracer has one. Mm. Yeah. Tracer has a black and green one. That's... Anyway. Also, uh, Soul Dynasty. Very very Hanzo. Black and gold. You know, very royal. Regal, if you will. Alrighty. Let's talk about his place in the meta. 
So um, Hanzo right now, arguably not super meta, more counter meta. As in, like we mentioned earlier, when you're playing against a bunker comp, he's a pretty useful pick. Have seen him show up a little bit this stage, though. Your thoughts? Um, I actually haven't watched much of the stage, so I actually don't really know where he fits into the meta right now. But yes, shield break, definitely. Um, he's useful against Faras sometimes, if you're good, and a lot of the elite players obviously are good. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, so, so are the Faras. He is, he is kind of niche, but right now... But still, he has his uses. <laughs> yeah, I'd say he's not, like, out of the meta. He's not fallen out of the meta. He's still, he's not as and you're, prominent you're as he was last season. you're definitely still going to see him in your, in your comp matches and stuff. Oh, yeah. uh, so looking, you're going to see him. Yeah. I think he was a lot more prominent when DPS was the favored meta. He's a, a big pick for a lot of um, Overwatch folks. But Well, towards the end of last year, Double Sniper was pretty much yeah. the standard. But Bef I, that was when Go Goats was still developing. And when people went Goats, they didn't really know how to play it. Yeah. So Double Sniper still dominated back then. Yeah, I agree. I do think um, that the removal of Scatter, the addition of his jump dash, and uh, just kind of like... the I think all the changes they made to him were sat well with me and did make him more meta-proof. Uh, he's definitely not 100% meta, but I think he sits sort of quietly on the outside waiting to be picked for specific situations is kind of how I see him right now. Um, but I can see him, you know, regaining his former glory as we kind of slowly but surely move away from the GOATS meta, which seems to be happening, um, largely thanks to teams like Chengdu that are actually willing to buck the trend and try something different. Um, I have been, uh, I've been interesting to see how much McCree has been played this uh, this stage as well. A lot of McCree I've seen, mostly against Winston's, obviously, for Flashbang and Fan the Hammer, but um, in general just been like, he's been almost the most prominent DPS hero that's been picked when you're running a sort of a version of GOATS that requires a DPS. Uh, and then uh, the last part of our little uh, hands-out roundup here, uh, and by the way, I do apologize for pronouncing it differently every time I say it. In England, it's Hanzo. In here, it's Honzo, much like I would say Super Mario Brothers as opposed to Super Mario Brothers, so I have difficulty saying Hanzo's name the same way twice. Uh, <laughs> so... Tweaks you, would me, make. <laughs> Tweaks you would make to uh, Hanzo to potentially make him more viable for the meta. I'm trying to think. I want something, something to happen Hanzo. with their dragons. Make his ankles less weak. <laughs> I'm like a, a button for ankle buff. <laughs> but yeah, the dragons, I don't know what they could do to the dragons, though. Maybe make them faster? Yeah, because you do, you do get... A significant warning. Uh, I mean, let's be honest. Hanzo about to fire dragons is one of the most obvious alt sort of call-outs like in the have, game. I feel like you have the most time to react to that one because, like, he can get through half his call-out and he's still spinning through the air, like, about to fire the arrow. Yeah. Like, his his dragons are probably one of the easiest alts to eat as D.Va. Yeah. Compared to, like, Mei, where, like, she, she, like, says the first syllable and the thing's already flying past you. Oh, oh. That's the beginning. <laughs> <It's> like, oh, <laughs> oh. Don't drop that. By that time, it. the robot's already passed you. Right. Like, it's you, ridiculous. You have to get lucky with May, uh, pretty much. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I think faster dragons is a good call. I think that's a good one. Uh, less time to react to those would Maybe be. Maybe the neat. cast time could also be faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cast I, time I don't faster. know if they should do both. Like, 
make the cast time. I actually wouldn't be opposed to them doing both. I think really. that'd be fine. I mean, when you think about his kit in general and how lackluster it is in terms of um, variety, I think that, you know, giving him an ultimate that's a little bit more um, devastating, fast, powerful uh, would be good. I actually, I actually would not be mad at it. I don't think Hanzo is an, in an unfair place. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that now so many heroes have uh, armor, shields, and actual physical deployable shields or shields they carry. Or, and there's all this kind of like, it's so hard for him to be as dominant as he was when it was largely DPS meta that it almost seems like giving him something that could take down a tank, even if he soloed a tank with it, because of the speed of it, would be fair. I think it's okay. I, I wouldn't be too mad about it. As far as the arrows themselves, um, I, I mean, I do think the hitbox is unfair, but at the same time, I can see why they give people a little leeway on it. Firing arrows is not an easy job when they're projectiles. Um, he's not hit scanned, so they do have to make up for it a little bit. Um, that, you know, so I'm, I'm kind of okay with where they're at, to be honest. I'd like to almost see another ability for him. I feel like there's just like something missing and i don't know what it is uh it doesn't have to be anything too crazy uh it doesn't have to be necessarily even like a um a powerful like an attack ability it could be a defense ability or something some kind of like sight some vision outside of the sonic arrow perhaps see i really want and this is like this has been spawned by seeing the cutscene for the event is i really want somebody to have an ability that blinds people because mercy does that swooping in thing and then blinds the drivers of the truck i'd like to see some hero have that ability i feel like hanzo could almost be a hero that could make use of that if someone gets too close you could just blind them and escape yeah or like even if smoke it's just bomb, for a like brief second before. even yeah. if it's just like a brief second like he can just escape somehow and give him a bit more because the jump does let him escape but literally just prevent the enemy from really like they, they just have to panic fire for like a second or two i wonder if they could give him like they originally in the concept and development um work they talked about giving him some kind of an assassination um ultimate i wonder if they'd be able to give him like a miniature version of that where it was almost like almost like when you sneak up some, from someone behind on like a sandbox game and you press a button to take them out kind of thing like if you can get behind like someone Halo. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you can get behind someone else's hands, like you don't have the invisibility of Sombra, so it would be difficult to actually get yourself in position to do it. But if you could get in position to do it, you could pull off just a quick kind of, like, maybe he pulls a arrow out and just, like, cuts their neck or something on a squishy. Just fucking stabs them in the eye socket with a... Why not? <laughs> you know, make it a little bit more gory. But um, something like that. Like, maybe some kind of... Either that or some kind of crippling ability. Like, maybe one of his arrows has a bleed effect or something uh, similar to, like, fire from dynamite and stuff like that like an overtime uh passive. he could fire an arrow that blinds the team blinds enemies yeah yeah if we wanted to go the blinding if route. yeah i mean if we're keeping the, he could the literally arrows. just be like hawkeye or fucking katniss everdeen and have like these different arrows in his quiver yeah <laughs> like, fire arrow Why like not? an explosive yeah. one this one like fucking electrocutes people or some shit like <laughs> i'm not mad about it i'll <laughs> you be can't honest give him too many things <laughs> yeah. but like maybe one other special arrow potentially yeah. one other special arrow um and or some kind of escape ability uh like smoke or blinding i think would be good and then speed up his dragons i think that's how we tweak him to make him more meta more meta worthy and not necessarily break him um mm. and make him overpowered cool glad we came to a consensus on that uh blizzard get on it 
All right. So that is episode five of Hero Recall. Uh, I have been Tom. This has been Mr. T, Grout of Power. And um, we're always excited to have you guys on board. Don't forget, we do have a Twitter uh, page channel. I don't know. What the fuck do you call it? Account? A Twitter page. We tweet. we tweet somewhere (laughs) we tweet and uh to join us on there and ask us questions and or suggestions for the show you can uh find us at at hero recall o w for overwatch so hero recall o w for overwatch and um we're going to be right there if you want to talk to us about anything at all we are super approachable as we have mentioned in the past um if you like the show, please let us know. Please post comments. We love it. We want to change it to benefit you for what you'd like. Uh, if you think there's nothing that needs to be changed and we're so perfect, just let us know because we'd like to hear that too. Um, but yeah, this has been a labor of love for both me and James so far. It's something that we've wanted to do for a while because we're both completely sadly obsessed in Overwatch. And um, and I think so far it's been really fun. I've enjoyed uh, every every time that we've got together to do this. So uh, we will continue to push through the rest of the hero pool going forward. Uh, once we run out of heroes, don't worry, we have backup plans. So we're going to be talking about maps and teams and all kinds of stuff. So, um, but by, you know, by the time we get through all 29 heroes, I'm sure there'll be at least eight more added. So uh, we'll be going for a little while longer past that too. Um, any words that you have before we leave? What's that? Finger heart. It's what? Finger <laughs> heart. Finger heart? Yeah. This is new to me. I've never seen that. Yeah. What? I'm sorry. This is literally, there's like a very famous gif of Gaguri doing that? it. Finger heart. This. Didn't know it. Must be it's a... very popular in Owl. I'm surprised you haven't heard of it. I've literally I've never seen that before. But yeah, a lot of a lot of the Owl players, like fa- the famous one is Gaguri, for me at least. Gaguri like did that. But it's, it's supposed to be like that's the bottom of the heart, and you just imagine the top of it. See, my thumb doesn't really. This is this is a little bit too monstrous. It's to okay. Make I've I've like screwed up my hand so I can do like Falcon salutes and stuff. Yeah. Alrighty. Um, yeah. So thanks very much for joining us for uh, this week's episode, and uh, of course we will be back um, as soon as we feel like it. Basically, <laughs> no, it's it's every two weeks or so. Um, but thank you so much for joining us because the world does need more heroes like you. See you next time. Bye bye.